about drinks, trivia, and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim, and I'm joined in the virtual pub by my drinking buddy, Ileri. What are you drinking and thinking about today? Hello. Um, I'm in a good mood, as you can tell. Um, I'm drinking a strawberry gin, and I'm thinking about Wimbledon. Ah, well, of course, because it would be Wimbledon season. Mm-hmm. Indeed, we were still allowed out to that extent. We're, we're starting to be allowed out, but not fully. So Wimbledon we're not allowed out on this year. Not. We're not allowed. You're allowed out. I'm not allowed out. We can go out for exercise. Yeah. I can meet people at a social distance. You can go shopping. I go, yeah. I I suppose I not, not I sort of forgot about that because it's not like I ever went shopping anyway. they're like you can go into the shops i'm like what shops did i go in the only shops i went into were pubs (laughs) which are not open yet but some some of them are sort of starting to be a little bit i think we'll talk about that in a minute the the other thing we should talk about with wimbledon is because obviously this is a drinks podcast pims yes i wanted pims but i don't have any pims hence the strawberry gin that's, that's the sound of pims and um i've even got some fresh mint in the top that i grew myself or off i really want a pims yeah i'm gonna just have a little have a little sip and you can watch me mm, the taste of summer i was i was even i was ready to settle for Pims in a can, and I couldn't even find that. And not even like Pims Pims, but one of the supermarket Pims. Yeah, I mean, like, I was in Lidl. Style, what do they call it? Like gin-based fruits cup. Yeah, so, I was in Lidl and I was looking all... You, you don't know what it's going to be called in Lidl. It, they don't even try and name it the same. It'd be called like John in a can or something. But... Yeah, well, they're not allowed <laughs> to call it the same. Yeah. Brand. Quims. <laughs> can of quim can of quim full of quims please um right should we start off with with pims then and kind of see how it brings us to wimbledon and then crack on from yeah. there tell me about pims oh killy do killy do are you drunk <laughs> <laughs> i mean i shouldn't be yet <laughs> oh, at least i mean you know when we get towards the end i'll let you know again all right so Pim's is, well, it's named after James Pim. So it's a, it's a name brand. And uh, he was an English dude. He was born to a farming family in Kent, uh, went off to Edinburgh for a bit for, for some education, and then came back down to London and opened an oyster bar, which was just across from Buckingham Palace. And that was sort of his thing. He, he oversaw over 10 years the rise of this fine dining restaurant empire and created lots of oyster houses and things 
And of course, what he really wanted to do was to sell alcohol as part of that restaurant experience, as you would expect from any good restaurant, right? But we're talking about the beginning of the 19th century and the people who would license alcohol sales were still quite nervous about a resurgence of all the awful gin goings on, as we sort of alluded to in previous podcasts about the gin craze and all that business. So he had to petition for a long time to get granted an alcohol license. It took him over a year and he had to get 120 signatories supporting his application to say that he could do it. And eventually they caved and they said, okay, fine, you can have an alcohol license, but you cannot turn your restaurant into a gin parlor or a tavern. So he was like, hmm, well, everyone wants to drink gin, but he's not really allowed to turn this into a gin place, even though he knows that's where he'd make a lot of money. So what he did was he thought, well, juniper, as we've said before, has these medicinal qualities. They're meant to be good for the digestion. So he says that it's um, a sort of digestif instead and he puts these other herbs and the cures and, and makes it kind of this medicinal tonic and he calls it the number one cup and that was created in 1823 so he's got James Pym's number one cup this gin based but definitely not a gin parlor um, herbal and the cure secret mixture gin based drink and of course people went crazy for it they were like this it. is delicious what an absolute maverick. It makes me want to drink more pims. <laughs> I know, it's a great origin story, isn't it? Because, I mean, as, as we shall see, it's changed hands a lot of times. And, you know, I think we now think of it as just like this massive commercial thing. But to hear that it was created by one man who started his own business from an oyster bar off, opposite Buckingham Palace, and he created it to get around licensing laws, I think is pretty badass. It's all good. Yeah, and people loved it. I mean, not only is it tasty, but I think it looked really pretty. You know, people enjoyed going to the gin parlours because um, all of a sudden they could have like these pretty glasses instead of just, you know, um, pewter tankards and stuff. And they could make cocktails look nice and put bits of fruit in it and mint and borage they would, they would put in. So um, it becomes really popular. He keeps expanding by the middle of the 19th century. In 1851, they launch... Pim's number two and number three cup. Now, did you, you probably were aware there were different number of Pim's cups, right? Um, if, when, you, when you mentioned earlier the number one cup, it did have a ding moment in my head. Yes, of course, it's yeah. number one cup. I didn't realise there were multiple. Yes. I just thought yeah. it was like, Pim's is the number one thing to have in your cup. I thought it was like marketing spiel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, but they they are actually different bases. So the number two cup, because uh, obviously one is gin, two is Scotch whiskey, three is brandy, or was brandy, mm. I should say, because nearly all of these um, were discontinued. The brandy one actually does continue in a different form as Pim's Winter Cup. Which I was going to say that I'd want some kind of brandy Christmassy Pims thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the winter cup, which they um, they brought back fairly recently and is available seasonally yeah. based on the original uh, number three cup. So those come in in the, um, in the middle of the 19th century. 
and the distillery begins selling it commercially, not just in its restaurants from 1859, so only about eight years later. So it's going on quite a pace. And then Pym sells the business in 1865. Um, so he gives the 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 name and the rights to a guy called Frederick Sawyer. And then he only has it for about 15 years. And in 1880, it goes to a guy called Horatio Davies, who actually became Lord Mayor of London at one point as well. And he takes the name and he, he opens Pym's Oyster Houses as a franchise in 1887. So there's loads mm -hmm. of these oyster houses, there's loads of these drinks made by a distillery. It's kind of expanding quite massively. And then we have to wait until just after World War II for Pim's number four cup. And mm -hmm. number four, do you want to have a guess what it's based on? Hmm. I'm going to say vodka. No, that's actually number six. Okay. And you can actually still buy number six, um, but in, in limited quantities. And they do special editions like with blackberry and elderflower flavouring as well. Um, number four was rum. Yeah. So rum Dark comes rum in. Or white rum? Um, I don't know <laughs> is the answer to that. It just says rum <laughs> and it's not around at the moment. So I got no more news for you. Uh, what okay. do you think would go best? Would go best with what? Hmm. A Pim's rum? Yeah, what would you pick? I'd pick like a, a cloudy lemonade or a ginger ale slash ginger ah, ale. I mean, A, definitely a ginger ale, but B, I meant like white or dark. Oh, um, dark. Yeah, dark yeah. and ginger. Ginger ale is actually quite a common thing to add to Pims, um, aside from lemonade as well. Yeah. Um, so then you get number five and number six come in in the 1960s. So uh, we've had vodka's number six. Yeah, five. Number five in the 60s. Is it going to be just something like vermouth or martini or something? It's actually another whiskey. It's rye whiskey this time instead. So mm. you know, American rye whiskey, bourbon. I, I can't get my head around a, a whiskey pims. No, I can't. No, neither of those are in production anymore. Um, either is the rum. So we're, we're going to have to imagine it or try and mix it up ourselves. <gasps> Let's totally do it ourselves, please. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we, all could possibly go wrong. All of, all of the drinks I've made so <laughs> far on this podcast have been spot on. So. <laughs> so it's been going really strong for a good hundred years or so. And then the brand kind of falls on hard times in the 70s and 80s, um, which I wouldn't have imagined. Again, I think because I just think of it as this thing that's always been around. And I know that, you know, big brands and commercial cocktails were really kicking off in the 80s. I don't think of it as falling on hard times, but it did. And the Easter House um, sold its chain um, and the Pim's uh, Cup products. And as Pim, has it always had that kind of like, high-end occasion kind of attachment to it or because I, I could understand why it died a death then maybe in the 80s because it was just more about the lash <laughs> rather than having a nice drink and a nice it, glass well I think you might put your finger on it because 
as part of their sort of renewed marketing campaign around the 1960s when they did um uh, went from number four to number five to number six they started trying to make it the taste of summer that's when i see their advertising kind of really embrace that and i saw them yeah. um attach it to things like cricket um and polo mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. they are really going for those outdoor summer upper class sports yeah that we actually yeah. still associate you know with it now as a brand and i think you know kind of what you've pointed out with the 80s is the rise of new money and so exactly. they're all having vodka martinis and cocaine you know they're not having him <laughs> and playing polo so yeah. it wasn't really embraced around that time and um <laughs> they they transfer ownership to the distillers company and then the distillers company is bought by guinness in 1986 so PIMS ends up being part of the Guinness Grand Metropolitan merger in 1997, which became Diageo. Did so not know that. Who they're with now. So yeah, it's gone, it's changed hands a lot for an old brand. Um, yeah, and then so they, the early 2000s had that advertising uh, campaign, you know, with, um, what's his name, Alexander Armstrong, and it's Pim's O'Clock and all the sort of Hooray Henry style stuff. And I think that's really stuck. Like even though Diageo in 2010 tried to refresh the brand um, with more of a diversity of people, it, I don't remember it at all. I still remember <laughs> the Pim's O'Clock, Croco and the Lawn type of occasion. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I remember, I remember the uh, Pim's O'Clock stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I remember drinking a lot of Pims kind of must have been around like 2009 onwards. That was when I drank a lot of Pims in the summertime. Mm. I never really drank it when I was at uni or anything. <laughs> that was more hooch and snake bite. <laughs> well, the less said about that, the better, I think. Um, <laughs> so I'll tell you what, though, you might, you might have liked um, one in particular uh, <laughs> variety of, of this Pims. So obviously, you know, as we said, it can, um, you normally mix it with lemonade. Ginger yes. ale is probably the next most common substitute. It could be mixed with champagne um, or sparkling white wine, which is a Pims Royal Cup. And I've definitely had a few of those before in uh, like posh events, concert halls and stuff. Um, mm. And then there's something called the Glasgow Garden Party. Yeah, I mean, what is it? <laughs> what, do you, what do you reckon? The I hope Party it's Pims and Buckfast. Okay, well, you've actually gone too far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even for Glasgow, you pushed it. They, um, <laughs> they substitute the lemonade for iron brew. Okay. Uh, and there is absolutely no fruit garnish. <laughs> Oh God, I bet there's no ice either, and I bet it's lukewarm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Pims and Iron Brew. Oh, I love Glass Region variations of things. It's one of my favourite cities. I really like it. <laughs> uh, and, and some people make Pims Mojito as well, um, where you um, muddle up lime and soda for that component rather than. Yeah. To be honest, I've only ever had it with lemonade and lots of garnish. And it's been one of those things where you can just drink a lot of it and be like, it's fine, it's only pims. <laughs> it really does pass you by, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's why it's so good at these um, swanky events. 
you get very distracted. And I don't know if you've ever like really been to, I mean, the ones that it's most popular at would be Wimbledon, um, Chelsea Flower Show, Henry Royal Regatta, Glyndebourne Opera Festival. Um, mm. And you either have a PIMS or you have a champagne. But those things all start off looking so pretty. And by the end of it, they're as messy as anyone else. Last thing. Normally, when everyone's at these things, I'm at festivals like Glastonbury and Isle of Wight. And I'm drinking 7% cider covered in mud. So start messy and messy. <laughs> <laughs> We've had different festival experiences. I've definitely been to Glyndebourne and had a PIMS on, on a picture. <laughs> it wasn't muddy. <laughs> I've definitely fallen in the mud outside the side of bus and glass mm -hmm. while you were at Glyndebourne. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do the segue into uh, Wimbledon, but then we should talk about uh, picnic drinking a little bit more. I think so. It made its official debut as a, as a, like an official drink of Wimbledon in 1971 uh, when mm -hmm. the bar opened, and now over 300,000. Uh, glasses of pims I had every year at Wimbledon. That's over 80,000 pints. That is great. It's <laughs> <laughs> something, isn't it? <laughs> All right, that, that is me done on pims. I just uh, want to ask how much is a glass of pims at Wimbledon? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I, didn't, yeah. I didn't look it up because I guess I'm never intending to go. Yeah. But I reckon. I think a normal cost for a glass of Pims at an event would be somewhere approaching eight pounds. Wow. Yeah. So I reckon Wimbledon's probably knocked it up to about 10. What do you reckon? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I remember reading some hideous amounts of money that people were paying for strawberries and cream. So yeah. add booze into the mix, it's going to be even more. Not exactly. Um, I'm going to look it up while you carry on. So, what I thought we'd have a chat is, have you, I, I mean, I know the rules are different in Wales, but certainly the first thing I've seen everyone do as we begin to ease out of lockdown is meet in the park for a beverage. Yeah. Do you have any opportunity to do that yet at all or not? Not really. I mean, the rules are still, um, I'm allowed to meet up with one other person or one other household and that's it and it's got to be within five miles of your house so mm -hmm. I still can't really go and see my family and we've only got one set of friends that live within five miles so we have got a plan this week to go and see them um, but it's only recently we've been told that we're allowed to go and meet them within five miles mm -hmm. um, and since they announced that, it has just rained and rained and rained. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah. We, um, but it's we, hard. I, it's, I, it's hard because I keep looking at Facebook and my Facebook is filled with all my London friends in parks in the sun having mm. socially distanced drinks and picnics and yeah. I'm still stuck at home. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I mean, a few of the, the bars have done takeaways like on on Bermsey Street around here and takeaways for a while so you can actually get Aperol spritzes around the corner taking us back to episode one um but a couple of the breweries next to me have are doing um like three pint takeaways in old <laughs> like plastic milk um jug type things and back right. a hot day have opened up I've noticed and I see I can look out my window and I just see lots of people walking past with um what looks like 
you know, two litres of milk, but is actually just for the bay or on their way to the park. It's quite nice. So have you, have you had a picnic yet? Have you been out and about? I haven't personally. I'm due one this week with um, a friend who was out in India when this all started going down and uh, so kind of got waylaid in their journey back and looking forward to meeting up and having a catch up about all that. Wow. But I, I haven't done it myself yet. What will be your, um, your sort of picnic drinks of choice? If you can take a little, little bar cabinet with you, what's going to be on the list of top picnic drinks? Uh, I'm definitely going to make a proper Bajan rum punch. Mm -hmm. um, I will take a rum punch and I've been really, really enjoying uh, exploring local craft breweries um, in lockdown. Yeah. Just, just, I've really, really been embracing supporting local and I've found a really nice craft beer called Flamingo Lingo by a brewery called um, Beer Riff in Swansea mm -hmm. and it's like a tropical pale ale it's really nice so I will have four of those and some rum punch on the beach which is about a 10 minute walk from my house so I know I've been complaining a lot about not being able to see friends or family but I do have a very beautiful beach about 10 minutes away so yeah I'll be down there with friends with some cocktails and beers nice one of my one of my concerns when I um, think what drink do I want to take you know for a picnic experience is you don't want something that tastes best when it's ice cold you want something mm. that can withstand to be a little more towards warm so you know white wine not so much prosecco not so much but um, I tell you what it always makes me think is scrumpy because it just puts me back in Devonshire. Devonshire Fields, you know, festivals. I, I lived in Devon for four years and it reminds yeah. me of the warm scrumpy that they would just serve you from like an open barrel on the side of the bar. And it was always a bit soupy, but yeah. part of the experience. So Absolutely. I think I always tolerate a strong cider when it's when it can go a little bit warm out in the sun because it just Familiar. It's actually uh, part of our Glastonbury tradition because we always drive from Wales to Glastonbury so we always end up going through the same route to the same car park and there's always a guy selling cider like proper scrumpy mm. on the side of the road in like the milk wagons you were talking about he sells them off really cheap and yeah it's like chewy cider it's got yeah in it yeah but it's oh. so strong. Should we do um, um should we do a scrumpy episode, like towards uh, the new year yes. when it's wassailing time? Yes, please. Deal. Um, <laughs> getting back to Wimbledon then. Yes, we've got... gone massively off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's part of the deal. Um, have you got any sort of drinking facts around Wimbledon or tennis? I have. So obviously the first thing I thought of if I'm doing a Wimbledon drinking podcast is is there a Wimbledon drinking game and of oh course, my goodness this might actually get me watching Wimbledon it's it's actually it's not too bad to follow there's like three tiers take a sip take a big drink or finish your drink so mm -hmm. it's like varying levels of things that happen uh so I I'd argue some of them I think some of them deserve more drinking than others uh but 
I'm just going to read them out. So take mm-hmm. a sip every time there's an ace or a let. Or take a sip every time a commentator mispronounces a player or celebrity name. Take a sip every time a player grunts gratuitously. This is one I think needs more of a drink. Take a uh, a sip every time a ball boy or girl falls down, misses a ball, or generally fails. Oh, yeah, that would be... more than a sip. That would be a triumphant one. Yeah. So that's sips. Big drinks every time there's a double fault. A player wins a set. A player gets visibly upset over a call. They do specify snarl, tears, foreign swear words, etc. I don't know why they have foreign swear words in there. Um, take a big drink every time a player wins a challenge. Every time the camera pans to a celebrity. Extra big chug if it's a royalty. Every time someone mentions Billie Jean King, Arthur Ashley, Pete Sampras, John McEnroe or Andrea Gassi. There's a lot of them. I'm not going to go through all of those. But... Finish your drink if there's a rain delay. Now, they haven't specified when to stop drinking here, and I think it could get out of hand. It says, finish your drink if there's a rain delay, or, sorry, and pour a fresh drink and keep going while you wait for the roof to close. Um, that is... These things sometimes get rained off for days. Exactly. Some of these will go on and on and on. But if they just think it's a bit of rain and it's going to pass, you can be sitting there for half an hour. But it does explicitly say, if there's a rain delay, finish your drink, pour a fresh drink and keep going while you wait for the roof to close. Are these drinking rules sponsored by Diageo by any chance? Is this how we get to over 300,000 drinks? Brought to you by Pins. (laughs) (laughs) Finish your drink if a player breaks their racket. If a player hits a shot from between the legs or behind the back, when a player wins a match, when the queen shows up, and now the last one, I have never witnessed this at Wimbledon. If the queen's corgis show up, oh. I, I've never seen a corgi at Wimbledon. No, I mean you're not likely to now, are you? Because she doesn't, she doesn't got anymore. Yeah, but still, I'd have watched. <laughs> I'd have watched Wimbledon every year if I thought there's going to be dogs involved. <laughs> I mean, clearly, replace the ball boys with corgis is the answer. Yes. Then I'd watch. I would just replace everything with corgis. Mm-hmm. The, ra- the rackets. <laughs> just get those um, those little machines. Those little machines that like shoot balls around. Just get yeah. two of those and fill the place with corgis. Do you know what I think we've confuse Wimbledon with um, Brufts? No, maybe. (laughs) I think they have that. (laughs) To be fair, my husband gets really excited for the Super Bowl every year and I watch the Puppy Bowl and it's it's the highlight of my year, the Puppy Bowl. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Best. Um, I did do more research other than drinking games. Okay, good. (laughs) I know you have your limits, but it's good to stretch them. (laughs) Well, I just thought, well, there's not going to be much drinking with Wimbledon other than Pims, because they're not going to drink much, all the athletes. How I mean, wrong I was. There is no Wimbledon. <laughs> well, there's no Wimbledon this year. But it turns out the tennis players love a beverage or 12. There's a history of drinking with tennis. If you really? Google, like, 
10 Estrutian stories, they've had to whittle it down to like the top 10. It's just <laughs> unreal. Um, the, the number one in all of the lists is, um, I don't know if you've seen it, it is a brilliant interview where Andy Murray's being um, interviewed over his semi-final victory at the US Open and, God, blew that out. <laughs> Andy Murray's semi-final victory at the US Open and he is chatting to the interviewer and his mum appears and starts chatting away and he just zero shits given and says, mum, you stink of wine. <laughs> and she's like really embarrassed and says, uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I've been drinking with um, Alex Ferguson. He, he invited me in for a drink. So she'd just been getting really drunk with Fergie while he was winning his uh, semi-final. <laughs> she just kind of walked into talk up the uh, interview glory that is so tennis mom what a legend she's great <laughs> uh another one takes us back to like i think it's like 1931 1932 sydney wood famous wimbledon champion he um admitted to being very very drunk once playing a game once uh he was having a bit of trouble he was doing a doubles match and They'd called for a break. I think it'd been rained off or something. They'd all gone downstairs and it was like, well, might not get back on. Might We're waiting for a decision. The umpire comes in and tells them, actually, no, it's going to be played tomorrow. Uh, he's in a lot of pain with cramps and what have you. So his coach, I guess, gives him a double brandy and brings another double brandy along for his doubles partner who turns around and says, no, 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 I'm teetotal and I'm not having a double brandy. So Sydney Woods like, yep, I'll have the other one. So he has two double brandies and then um, they come back in and despite being told they're playing tomorrow, they're like, oh, sorry, change of plan, we're playing right now. So <laughs> after essentially four shots of brandy, he's got to jump back on and play like another bunch of sets and it's just slowly getting more and more wasted. Um, but he should have gone with Tim's number three cup. <laughs> he got he got a bit of medicinal he got herbs very quickly. Um, he was like, I, I have read an interview on this before where he was like, Yeah, I could see like two balls coming at me, and I just went for one, and it was never the right one, and I lost very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and Suzanne Langland used to drink from a brandy flask on course. So it was really casual uh, between sets. She'd have hip flask and she'd just be drinking brandy during the match. It was like the done thing back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but fast forward to today, they're not quaffing pims or brandy or spirits. They are drinking pickle juice. Oh, wow. Yes. That is the new fad in not just tennis, sports generally. Um, it's been seen with rugby league, football, cricket, tennis, lots of athletes love a bit of pickle juice. Um, well, why? The immediate thoughts were that it contains lots of salt and sodium, therefore it helps with cramp. Soda crisps. <laughs> That's a fair point. Thank you. <laughs> Like if you've got a choice. Down here and he's yeah. <laughs> That's some knickknacks, love. Pick down your picture juice. 
but it isn't apparently it's not um it's not to do with the salt and sodium content um a doctor said that it triggers um a reflex in your mouth that sends gag. a signal to muscle <laughs> i haven't got a gag reflex <laughs> no i've read the graffiti <laughs> Uh, no, it sends a signal um, to just stop muscles from cramping. So on the onset of cramp, if you drink pickle juice, it's supposed to help. Um, right. Could they not just have some frickles? <laughs> I, in doing research, all I wanted up to this was frickles. <laughs> I think everyone knows what frickles are listening to this. There's nothing better than a frickle, a deep fried pickle. Whoever invented frickles. Yeah. They're insane, like ba crispy, battered, deep fried pickles, oh that, God, and like yeah. a sour beer. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Isn't it? it is so good. Um, That's our tipple and snack of choice when we go to Bristol, isn't it? It is, it absolutely is. Dear Bristol. I keep it, I've said that multiple times to my husband during lockdown. I just want to go to Bristol and eat frickles. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very specific craving, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we both sound like crazy pregnant women. I know. He did say, he's like, you're pregnant. Why do you keep asking for freckles? <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand you've had them and then it's life changing. <laughs> well, maybe off the back of this research, we could just say, look, we're athletes. We need pickles. Yes, exactly. I need to stop my cramps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as well as helping with cramps, um, pickle juice is known as a very, very good hangover cure. And I guess that is presumably because it's got a ton of salt and sodium and vinegar and stuff right. that these this in. And it uh, close, so it kind of like shocks you awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like when I was doing this research, it's like so and so football player for Arsenal was. Uh, seen swigging pickle juice on the pitch but um he was swiftly seen spitting it out as well so <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, swings and roundabouts yeah i mean well, it depends how badly you need it like one of the guys i think it was francis tfo um so he he literally swears by pickle juice he's like it, it got me to the quarterfinals of the australia open and he said he was like knocking it back he was like i needed that to produce so mm. some people do properly think it, it happens and i've seen as well when i was doing my research you can get like little like capsules of it branded pickle juice like you can get like little actamol or turmeric shots like you can get shots of pickle juice so it is definitely a thing in sport now you can buy pickle right juice. Do you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like someone went, we've got quite a lot of leftover pickle juice from selling all these pickles. And some market <laughs> went, do you know who's really gullible? Athletes, sport people. <laughs> let's, just, let's just sell it at a hiked price for a smaller amount than if you were just to buy a jar of pickles. And they went, Well, yeah, that makes sense because I actually read a third thing. So they're obviously <laughs> desperate to get rid of this pickle juice. The last one. Uh, apparently, it's really good for your breath, pickle juice. <laughs> In what sense? <laughs> In the sense that it completely kills the bacteria that breeds in your mouth. Even so... the bacteria can't stand your pickle juice breath. <laughs> it's a bit... <laughs> I, I don't think it's a quick fix. I think it's a long-term thing. I think oh, if you've got some constant stank going on, just <laughs> constant. 
<laughs> well, I'll be honest. Um, I wasn't expecting you to come out with those things based on Wimbledon drinks. Um, everyone got drunk on brandy and then they started drinking pickle juice, but I'll take it. <laughs> it's good fun. <laughs> um, now, listen, we cannot come to any kind of conclusion of this episode featuring Wimbledon without discussing the Wombles. Of course. The Wombles of Wimbledon. Common what do they drink? Do, they now, do you really, do you remember the Wombles? Do you used to watch them? Because you're younger than me and I feel like they might have sort of been done by the time you were old enough. Yeah, I'm definitely a Playdays kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, I'm young enough that I remember singing along to the Wombles album on vinyl. You old. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the whole thing. Um, so the Wombles, okay, well, let me first of all say that the Wombles first book came out in 1968 and I'm not that old. But um, all right. they were kind of... <laughs> I think they were they were quite progressive. Like if you think about it, you know, the, the Wombles are this international crew <laughs> of like teddy bear hedgehog type things. And they're committed to a better environment and cleaning things up and recycling and you know, throwing shade at humans for making dirty. I'm still laughing at the fact that I think that's the only time the Wombles have ever been described as progressive. <laughs> No, not at all. That's like their main brand. <laughs> they were they were international and they came out of the um the emerging environmental movement. Because the thing is like the, the environmental movement had only really just kicked off. So the first Earth Day was 1970. It's actually 50 years ago this year. But the first mm. day, and that was um born out of the work of Rachel Carson. You ever heard of Rachel Carson? No. She was this incredible environmental scientist working in the 60s, well, 50s and 60s. And she published a book in 1962 called Silent Spring. And it was mostly about the detrimental effect that pesticides like DDT were having on the environment um, and our own health as well. Like, you know, it caused cancers. And, but she, what she did was she observed um, birds and wildlife and how it was affecting ecosystems and just kind of came up with a lot of data from observation and published it. And it was her work that led to the formation of like the Environmental Protection Agency in the US and the founding of Earth Day. Like David Attenborough said it's the second most influential science book after the origin of species. So few people have heard of her though, but it's a beautiful piece of work. Um, mm as are her letters that she, uh, she wrote to her partner as well about what it felt like to publish that, knowing that you know, she was gonna be ridiculed and hated but how important it was to have done her part by publishing it because she knew it and she couldn't stay silent on it. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely, at least like read her Wikipedia page because <laughs> she yeah. is incredible. But that's why I mean, but kind of like the Wombles were right on that moment because they were ahead of Earth Day, they were after the publication of Carson's book. And I think we can kind of take for granted the idea that environmentalism is just like a normal thing that you might want to teach kids, but it was like brand new then. Yeah. Um, 
so the thing about the Wombles, they, uh, this is how it relates, not only to Wimbledon, but to drinks. They drank acorn juice. Um, uh, is, that, is that a thing or is it a fictional thing? Well, so I thought oh, it was probably just a thing they made up because they also eat fur cone souffle and elm bark casserole and grass bread sandwiches. So I'm like, oh, it's just foresty stuff they put together. But I looked it up. And um, there are reports in the 17th century, they did used to make a juice extracted from acorns and they would um, give it to drunkards to cure them of their condition. It was the pickle juice <laughs> of the 17th century. It basically <laughs> tasted so gross, it would shock them out of their hangover and it would stop them from wanting to drink again for a little while. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but not only that, it has been used as a coffee substitute as well. So when people can't get coffee, okay or it's, you know, it's been rationed, they can make a coffee out of it called Ersatz coffee. And the records of it are mostly being used during wartime. So the Confederates used it in the American Civil War and the Germans used it during World War II. So I'm so not saying that... it's got the best brand associations. <laughs> 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 but it was, it was used. Um, Is that substitute the flavour of coffee or the effect? Mm. It doesn't have caffeine in it, yeah. but it has, it has a lot of tannins. So you actually, you can, I mean, you can eat them, but you need to, it's like the pulses, you have to soak them first to extract the tannins, otherwise you'll get kidney failure. Um, but acorns in particular, like you have to give them, I think sort of four or five soakings in cold water, or you have to boil them for a long time and change the water. Um, mm -hmm some stuff out but some cultures do still do that and do still consume them so um korea in particular um they make an edible jelly out of it called um dotori muk that's made um from acorns into a jelly and then they have dotori guksu which are noodles that they make from the acorn flour or starch i think so, i really want to try it yeah, I quite like to try it. They, they do consume it, but it's, as I say, it's a bit of a process to, uh, you know, make it particularly edible. Yeah. I want to give you just a couple of quick facts about the Wombles. Yeah. <laughs> I won't go on yeah. about but they're just so good. Um, one, they were a Eurovision interval act. Can you guess what, did what you Um... Please tell me it was, no, wait, no. Um, 1979. You're close, but it was, it was 1974, Brighton, ABBA. Of course. The most famous Eurovision of all time featured the one. <laughs> it was literally, a couple of weeks ago we watched Eurovision and we both said, could you just imagine being able to go back to that night? That, that Brighton one with Ava and see the Wombles. <laughs> um, I think it was like shit if I could go back to Brighton 74 for that night. Just one night in history, I wish. But just imagine, it would be mental. You're but, British, yeah. you're at Eurovision, you win Eurovision, uh, to boot the bomb, the wombles there. So, <laughs> Jesus, yes, that was a party out there. Um, they also played Glastonbury in 2011. Yes, I knew that. I wasn't there. <laughs> I, I, was, I was there <laughs> the year after. 
death, unfortunately. But uh, uh, always yeah. just missing the Wombles. <laughs> yeah, probably not going to see them again for quite a while because um, they tried to revive them not that long ago uh, for Channel Five. It, it didn't get broadcast. It didn't go well. The guy who like writes their music and was using the revival, Mike Bat, went bankrupt in 2017. Um, so no more Wombles for a while, even though we probably need them more than ever. We need you, Wombles. Come back. <laughs> Can they come back and sort everything out, please? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so there we go. Acorn juice. Um, the, 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 old, the old pickle solution. Yeah. We've really been around the houses today. Wimbledon gave us a lot of material. I know. I thought it was going to be... I thought it was going to be tough, but it's been a really interesting week of research, if I'm honest. Yeah. I'd, well, I'd like to go to a tennis academy and get smashed with all the tennis people. <laughs> I'd like to introduce the crossover of Frickles as well and blow their minds. <laughs> if you're getting smashed with tennis people, it's called a Grand Slam. <laughs> get Grand Slammed. That's just Phil. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, our glasses have run dry, which means it's game, set, and match for this episode. Everybody say love! Love! Thanks, hon. I did some vibrato for that one. Wherever I may roam, or land or sea or fall, you can always hear me sing in this song, show me the way to go home. I want some frickles. So bad.